All right, well, we're motoring through Titus, motoring through Titus here. We're going to, we've talked to the older men, to the older women. I know nobody likes to be in that category, but the reality is some of you are, and uh, that's just the reality. And uh, the reality is this, we said that every woman, every man is older than some, and so you play the role of an older man, and you play the role of a younger man. And to some, and so we are all in that category. We've looked at older men, older women, younger women, and today we are looking at the role of a of younger man. And uh, I, I thought about lumping uh, the younger man, and then in nine and ten employees. But given the fact that it's already ten, twelve, I'm glad I didn't decide to do that. So my job is to challenge the younger men today uh, in the time that we have left. And so I'm gonna. Uh, skip through the introductions and, and make sure we, we get this done. But there is no biblical evidence whatsoever, hear me, that we are ever to water down who we are and what we're to stand for in order to, in order to win the lost. There, we live in a culture that, for many ways, Christianity has, has watered down and has tried to become too much like the world in order to win the world. And we're seeing that it doesn't work. There's no biblical evidence ever that, that we're to water down what we're to stand for. And even as, a, even as a father, even as a young father, there can be a, t- a tendency to want to be my son's and my daughter's friend, to want to be their buddy, to, to maybe want to scale back and, and just, be, just be fun and, and just be liked all the time. Well, guess what? That, that's not what God's called me to be. And it's not what He's called you to be. And what he says here in, in Titus are very strong uh, implications. They're very strong words. And, and hear me, it's not only for my two children, but it's for the world. You see here in, in verse 10, so that they will adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior in every respect. I think about Matthew five fourteen through 16. He says, you're a city on a hill. Don't, don't put your lamp under, a, don't put your, your, your lamp under the table. Don't hide your lamp. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a lamp basket. No, instead they put it out on the table and it gives light to everyone around. He says, go let your light shine there, verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's through how we live our lives. And it's not by hiding the lamp. It's not by turning the light turning the lamp down a little bit so it, maybe it's just a flicker. It's by turning it up and shining bright. That's how we give light to a dark world. It's by living wholeheartedly, un, 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 unashamedly for the Lord. And that's the issue here for Titus. How do, we, how do we live? And ultimately the gospel is at stake through how we live. Not, not some slick presentation here. Although we, if that helps you be comfortable sharing the gospel, by all means, whether it's Romans Road, Evangelism Explosion, Share Jesus without fear, all these different things. The main thing is how we live our lives. It's how we live our lives. Every single one of us in here today, the common theme is we talked about our, our dads and our husbands. It was how they lived their lives. It was the example that they were before us. I was blessed with a, with a, a wonderful father and much of, of who I am, good, sometimes bad. It's, I'm a little Terry Basham. You know, you, Karen and I kid all the time. Uh, she'll tell me, hey, this needs to be done, and I'll do it immediately. She's like, man, that is just like your dad. I, 
I'm, I'm like my dad. Rather, genes are, genetics are a cruel master. Cruel master, for better or worse. But he put a good example, a very good example. My, my, my mom's sister's husband uh, died of a, of a sudden heart attack, and, and, and they had a, a, about a four-year-old son, Everett. And I sat back and I watched my dad be a father to Everett. I watched him be a husband to Jan. Now, don't, don't, get, don't, don't run out here and say the pastor's dad had two wives. He played that role. We, we, mow, we mowed her grass. We took care of her house. If there was something about the house that she was nervous about or this and that, she called Terry. She knew to call Terry. She knew my dad would drop whatever he was doing and he would go serve her. I watched that for 20 plus years. It impacted me. He was a model. It wasn't, Chris, let's sit down and talk about serving. It was, Chris, you, just, you, just, you, just, you walk with me. You walk with me. You watch me. And that's what Titus is talking about here, that, that our lives would, we, would be teachers, would be molders through our lives, not, not just our words, but through our lives, that we would mold younger men and, and younger daughters through watching our lives. That's what he's saying here. And it requires older men to come alongside the younger men to help them to do this. And what we see in Titus and what we see in Matthew and all throughout the two Testament is this, that the ultimate platform for sharing the gospel is created through how we live our lives. The ultimate platform. It's through how you live your life. The most powerful element from evangelism is a transformed life. It's through a life whose light shines bright. John MacArthur said the following, To convince a man God can save, I need to show him a man he saved. To convince a man that God can give hope, I need to show him a man with hope. To convince a man that God can give peace, joy, love, I need to show him a man with peace, joy, and love. To convince a man that God can give complete and total and utter satisfaction, I need to show him a man that's satisfied. And the question becomes, what are you saying through your life about God? That, that's what's at stake here. What message are you sending to the world, right or wrong, about God? That's what's at stake here. Verse 10, so they will adorn the doctrine of of our God and Savior in every respect, young women, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. The gospel is at stake here. And today we're going to talk about how the gospel is at stake in the, in the pursuit of godliness as a younger man. That's the only point. It's the, the passage here is talking about the pursuit of godliness as a younger man. And hear me. He's going to say the same thing. I, I look out here, I see our students, I see our middle school, high school students. Don't wait to pursue godliness, boys and girls. Godliness is not something you wait to pursue after you're, you've sowed your wild oats, after you've gone through high school, gone through college, you've done all this stuff, and now I need to settle down and start pursuing God. I'm telling you, if, if I can play the role of an older man here, you will look back on your life and you will see the wasted years that you had to pursue God, and I will tell you, you will regret it. You will not be 35 and be happy that you wasted all the years prior chasing stuff that doesn't matter. I promise you, you won't. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit. 
You sow your wild oats, I promise you, you will spend the rest of your life with scars, with wounds, with hurts, with hang-ups. The enemy will constantly bring to mind a sense of unworthiness, a sense of regret, a sense of guilt. I promise you. I lived there, and I wasn't that bad. I think my parents would tell you that I was a pretty easy child to live. But on a daily basis, the enemy accuses me of foolishness. Of, of times that I, I, I just wasted years away. Just wasted years away. And I promise you, start now. The, the, you, don't, you don't look at stuff on the internet you shouldn't look at as a teenager and think, oh, when I get married, I'll stop. You don't waste your money when you're younger and think, oh, when I get older, I'll stop. You don't mess around with bad relationships when you're younger and think, oh, then I'll just settle down with the right man or woman. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's not even in the notes. I, 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 I apologize. I'm a little weepy today. I, I got a call yesterday morning and I think about today being Father's Day. A, a, a lady and a husband who served with me faithfully in the recreation ministry. Three boys. Her husband died in his sleep Friday night. First thing yesterday morning, I get a call. I go over there to the house. Three teenagers. No father today. You know, it just, it just, you, you come up with these notes and you pray all week and you think about it. And then I hear, you know, I'm reminded of dads that are ill and all that's going on. You know, we're, we're in a war. And it's a war for who our allegiance will be for. And young boys, young girls, pursue godliness now. Don't wait. I don't care who else is doing it, you do it. If, there are, if all the rest of your class doesn't care about the Lord, you care about the Lord, you be a light. Be a light. Because I promise you, I look back, I look back and, and I can't remember half the people I went to school with, but the ones I do remember, it was because they stood for something. I think about a guy named Ben Oder. Never once did you see a Ben without a Bible, but he wasn't weird about it. People knew where he stood, and, and even to this day I talk to people, and the conversations all, oftentimes will go back to Ben Oder. And I had many godly men around me, by the grace of God, at that time. But in a school that really was, it was, a, it was not for Christ. I didn't, I didn't go into a school that was for Christ. But Ben stood out. He let his light shine. And, and the call here is for older men to teach the younger to pursue godliness, just like the call was for young. Some of you have raised children out of the home. You're not reti- Don't buy the world's idea of retirement. Your job is now to pour into other kids, to pour into other men, other women who maybe didn't have a godly example, maybe are first-generation Christians. You pour into them. And the call here is to be just that. It's to be a positive influence in someone's life. He's saying you influence the younger, and it's not through lecturing, it's through doing life together. It's about relationships. And the reality is what, Paul, what Titus says here, uh, what Paul says to Titus is for, for all men. There, there are somebody younger that we can mentor. There's somebody else that, that, we can, that we can help. The word urge here carries the force of a command, and in the Greek, it's a permanent thing. It never ceases. He is saying, continually set this before young men. Why? Because we tend to wonder. Young men tend to be impulsive. 
Young men tend to do silly things. I, I don't, I'm not trying to pick on him, but I'll be forever reminded when we were in the Amazon at the end of the mission trip last year, we go to this little, it was a bunch of huts in the middle of a river, and it's like a tourist trap, Brazilian style, I guess. But they had all this stuff to buy, and Addison thinks it's going to be a good idea to buy a blow dart. It's like, of all the things, that, and I'm not picking on him, if you know Addison, phenomenal heart, that's just the way Addison is. He's like, hey, I think, I'm thinking, how are you going to get that back in America? That's a weapon. You can't, I mean, so, so but his story gets worse or better, depending on whose viewpoint you're looking at. Because we get back on the boat, and, and this thing, it's carved, and, you know, you, I'm thinking, that thing, you wasted your money. You wasted your money. And, and so Addison, we're sitting there talking to Addison, do you think it works? Like, what do you mean you think it works? He says, hey, I'm going to pull on my pant leg. I want you to shoot this dart at my leg. Like, shoot this dart at your leg? He said, yeah, just shoot it at my leg. So me being the godly pastor, leader, I'm like, all right, I'll try it. I promise you, never in a million years did I expect this thing to work. I can promise you, I never expected it. I thought it was going to be like one of those things. I blew it and it was just going to fall out of the tip of the blow. I'm like, this is dumb. I shot that thing, it went about that deep in his leg, and blood immediately starts running down this boy's leg. Now, obviously, everybody's like, what happened? My pastor just shot me with a blow dart gun. Now, I distinctly, I can tell you, girls would never sit around thinking about buying a blow dart gun and then wondering if it worked. The girls are buying purses and pottery, and, and us young men, we're morons. We're thinking about blow darts. We're thinking about this 500-pound man-eating fish that they had captured, and we're trying to stick our hands in the thing. You know, I mean, and I distinctly remember, it, it was dumb, it was poor judgment. I distinctly remember, I needed an older man to come alongside me and say, Chris, what you're about to do is not a good idea. Unfortunately, all I had was an older woman who was in my mother-in-law, and who listens to them anyway? I mean, come on, we on. She, I remember her saying, Chris, that's probably not a good idea. I'm like, well, we don't, I'm not going, we're not listening to you. You're not an older man. I'm exempt. <laughs> but men need to be trained. Your pastor still needs to be trained. We're, we're not, the first thing he says here is, is what me and Addison both violated, and it was sensible. Young men must be taught to be sensible, i.e., don't buy the blow dart gun and don't try it on each other. That's the moral of the story. You don't hear nothing else. Forget Titus 6. Don't buy a blow dart gun and don't shoot each other. You know, I look at my neighborhood. I don't see little girls running around with airsoft guns. I see a whole bunch of boys running around shooting each other, and they want to shoot each other with them. Girls don't think about that. We're, we're not, some don't, some maybe, but not in my neighborhood. Young men need to be taught to be sensible. And, and that word sensible is, is the fundamental characteristic, hear me, the fundamental characteristic that ought to mark a young man's life is sensible. If you recall, this character trait has been seen in every single group. Older men, older women, younger men, and now younger men. He says sensible, be sensible. It's, it's the call for self-control. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, the last one, self-control. It's to do things to the glory of God. It's to be wise. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source, it is the wellspring 
of life. Proverbs 4.23. Young men need to understand this to curb their emotions, to, to curb that everything that flashes, this is, the, the reality is whatever it is in my brain that keeps me from saying everything that comes through my brain sometimes is not well trained. Like, if it comes out of my brain, sometimes it just flows out of my mouth. I need to be taught. Whatever that is, your medulla oblongata or something like that. Yeah, I need to be taught to be sensible, to have good judgment, to be trained. We need older men come alongside of us saying, you know what? One day I'm going to have the blessing and come alongside a young man who buys a blow dart gun and attempts to do that. I'm going to say, look, I've been there, done that. It works. Believe it. Don't do it. And, and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a blessing. I needed that young man around me then on that boat. But sensible. Young men should be examples of good deeds, he says. The word here literally is, it means type. It means mold. It, it means somebody who is shaping other men into the right mold. You, you, you see on how they shape things, a plastic or whatever. They pour it into a mold, it dries, and then it takes on the shape of a mold. That's literally what Paul is saying here. Older men grab a younger man and mold them into a godly young man. You be the model, men. You be the model, and you take these younger men, and you live a life that they can model them li- their own lives after you. All, uh, everything he says here, the interesting to me as I read this, everything he says here are qualities that are observable. They bear fruit. They're observable. Our Christian faith is observable. What we believe is observable. What we believe plays out in our lives. Teaching, teaching, what that tells me is teaching is not just words. Teaching involves activity and content. It's being an example. It's not just do as I say. It's watch me as I do what I say. It's watch me. And the task of modeling was huge in Paul's day. Even the disciples, they would find a rabbi that they, that they respected and they would go to that rabbi and ask, hey, can I, can I live with you? Can I follow you? Can you mold me into your image? They knew what he was talking about when he said this. Even Jesus took the disciples with him. They followed him. They walked with him. He molded them day by day. He showed them. And Paul himself modeled the Christian life for others. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You, you see the verses for the sake of time. We're not going to look at them. You see Philippians 3.17, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Timothy. All throughout, model, model, model. We are all called as Christians to be models. To be models. Why? Because that is a very effective teacher. You can tell me all you want, but you show me a whole different ballgame. whole different ballgame. I can tell Bradley and Sarah, read the Bible. Do I show them how? Do I teach them how? Do they see a dad and a mom who are reading the Bible regularly? Do I model for them what a quiet time looks like? Do I model for them how to treat a, a wife? Do I model for them how to treat a husband? It, and, and notice what the model produced. It, good deeds. The model, what we are to model, good deeds. And how our faith becomes observable is through our good works. It's through our deeds. 
This was a huge theme of Titus all throughout Titus. 16, 2.6, 2.14, 3.1, 3.5, 3.8, 3.14, all talk about good deeds. Good deeds. Ephesians 2.10, look with me there, a, a powerful verse about, about works, and, and I'll share this one. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Look, we're not, shared by, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for works. We have been saved for works. That's the new life. Look down in 2.14 of Titus. Lost my page there. He says, he who, he's talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. Not just accidental, zealous for good deeds. Chad and Stacy just got back from a missions trip yesterday to the Dominican, to Jesus. That didn't just happen. They purposed for it to happen. They didn't just find themselves on a mission strip. Oh, we just showed up in the DR. It took sacrifice. It took purpose. And, and the zeal the, for good deeds is the whole purpose of Christ's work to save for him, to create a people that are zealous for good deeds. Look, look at verse 7 and 8. In all things, in all things, he says, show yourself to be an example. It's not, hey, this, this, is off, this, is, this is off the... No, all things. Hey, I'm going to take the day off and I'm going to live how I want to live. No, 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 all things. Bradley, I'm not teaching you today. Sarah, I'm not teaching you today. No, all things. Every day, all day, teacher. And, and, and literally in verse 7 and 8, Paul is telling Titus, you be that example. Titus is a very, very young man, very probably intimidating to be this man in this culture, very young. And you know what he says to him? Hey, you be the example. Show your peers. You minister to your peers, no matter how young you are, by being an example, by being different. That's what he says to Titus. And that's what he's saying to every single one of us. The, the Ellies, the Bales boys, Addison, everybody, all the students in here. He's saying, you, you be the light on your campus. Public school, private school, it don't matter. Homeschool, they need a light. They need you to be the light. You don't be that light by being the same. You don't be that light by going with the status quo. You be that light by setting the pace. You set the pace is what he's saying. Whatever your age bracket is, you set the pace for godliness. You take personal leadership in living for Christ among your peers, no matter if anyone else does it or not. You do it. That's what he's saying. You, you do not, students, you do not have to be like your world to save the sum. That does not work. That is a lie that Satan has told us. Well, I need, to, I need to do the things that they do and experience the things that they experience, and I need to go where they go so I can be an example. No, you don't. That's a lie. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company corrupts good morals. I promise you, you do that, you'll find yourself doing stuff you shouldn't have ever done. Why? Because your flesh wants to. They're going to take you places that your flesh wants to do. And you're going to lose. I'm just telling you, you're going to lose the battle. That's why, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, flee immorality. He don't say play around with it. He doesn't say get as close as you can to it. He says flee it. Why? Because you won't win that battle. 
I promise you, you'll lose that battle. You play around with immorality, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. What, what this world needs, what your campuses need, no matter if you're elementary, middle, high school, college, your workforce, we'll get to that later, they need a light. They need a light. Philippians 2, 14, we see this theme everywhere. Paul says in Philippians 2, 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you would appear as lights in the world. Prove yourself to be blameless. He doesn't say go along with the crowd, be like them. I read a study from a guy named James David Hunter. He's a sociology professor at University of Virginia. And listen, he studied students on seminary campuses and um, Bible colleges. That's where he did this study. That makes these, uh, these results even more alarming. It wasn't like he went to... Florida State, or even worse than that, Florida, to do this study. He, he, he went to, these are Bible colleges. I said that for you, Mario, just for you. Worst of all, Florida. You got that? Okay, just kidding. He found that, that young evangelicals have become significantly more tolerant of activities once viewed as worldly or immoral. They have significantly, we tolerate much more what he's saying, such as smoking, drugs, R-rated movies, and premarital sex. Satan's lies is that if we will lower the bar and seem less prude, then we can win the, win the more. He says that's wrong. The Bible says that's wrong. Hunter writes, this is a quote, The symbolic boundaries which previously defined moral propriety for conservative Christians have lost a measure of clarity. Many of the distinctions separating Christian conduct from worldly conduct have been challenged, if not altogether undermined. He's saying what we're known for is no longer the reality of who we are. We've watered down the Bible, we've ceased being lights, and we've dimmed our lights, or we've put our lights under the table. And we wonder why the world is the way it is. You take all the light out of the world, guess what? It's dark. We were meant to be lights. We don't win the world by becoming like the world. You don't win your campus students by becoming like your campus. You win your campus by being different even when nobody else is different. And he says, Christians are to be an example in all things. Not some things, in all things show yourself to be an example. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we saw that. Whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. All things. Everything in our life is to be given over to making much of Christ. How we live as, as a younger man, as a younger woman, it, it, it's, it matters. And listen to this, all things. How you study, how you play, how you date, who you date, how you dress. The kind of words you use, the kind of friend you are, how you play sports, how your free time, how you handle social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these things. Your private, your public life, in every single one of those areas, Christian, you be an example. Hey, why don't you show that stuff on your face? That'd be a great question for one of your friends to have to ask you. Why don't you post any of that stuff on Facebook? Well... I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't believe that's holy, and he said to flee things that aren't holy, and so that doesn't... Testimony. Gospel. Hey, what's all this stuff you post on Twitter about the Lord? Well, I love the Lord with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I worship no other before Him. Let me talk to you about Him. 
See, they don't ask those questions when your Facebook looks like their Facebook. They don't ask those questions when your Twitter looks like their Twitter. When your Instagram, when you're posting the same Instagram pictures, when you're using the Nord's name in vain, OMG. We, we talked about that, and I appreciate Chris last week. These aren't on my notes. This is just heart stuff, sorry. So forgive me for whatever I say, but I appreciate him bringing that up. You don't, you don't win the world by using all the silly words that the world uses. And by the way, OMG is using the Lord's name in vain, and the Bible says he will not hold him unpunished who uses the Lord, takes the Lord's name in vain. Period. You don't win the lost by being like the lost. You will not be remembered, students, by being the same. You will be remembered and impact your culture by being different in a good, godly way. Period. Period. Example in all things. Young men should be pure in their doctrine. The word there means integrity. It means somebody who is solid. It's somebody who, it's somebody who knows what they believe, that they don't have holes, that there's no blind spots necessarily. It's somebody who, who doesn't pick and choose what they're going to believe in the Bible. He's saying, no, you be all in. It's someone who doesn't mix the world and mix God. It's Bible only. He says young men should be dignified. What he means there is that you need to take your walk, no matter where you are, you take your walk seriously. That's what the word dignified there means. It is someone who takes their walk with Christ seriously. It's not something they do on Sundays. It's not something that their parents do, and so they're doing it. It's somebody who takes their walk seriously. It's respectable. It doesn't mean you can't have fun. It means you're careful about the fun you have. I'll be the first to tell you, I like to laugh. I like to laugh with the best of them. I like to have fun. I'll, 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 I'll jump in, but, but I need to be wise about it. He said young men should be sound in their speech. And there's so much more I could say. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting through this. So, sound in their speech. Look with me at Ephesians 4, 29. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Watch what you say. What, what are your words known for? What are your words doing to people? They lifting them up? Tearing them down? They giving grace? Or are they giving condemnation? Are they telling people about the greatness of God or are they going with the world? What are your words? He says, sound in your speech. Colossians 4, 6, he, he says the, the same thing. He, he says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how each should respond to a person. Your speech. He says, your speech ought to be life-giving. People ought to come to you because the word you're going to give them is going to be life-giving. It's going to be refreshing. It's going to be encouraging. Hey, I need to go get around Nate Glick because he's going to give me a good word and he's going to encourage me. Are you known for that around your campus? He says, and, and, and all of this, look at verse 8, all of this is why? So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Verse 10 as well, so that, all, so that they will adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior in every respect. It will shame our opponent when we live this way. It will shame our opponent. 
To live in such a way where somebody accuses us of something, you're like, man, that sounds so much unlike him or her. That doesn't even make sense to accuse him of that. That is so out of line. I'm not even going to mention it. It's a call to excel as a believer. And, And here's the thing. How you live, even you young boys and girls... I mean, you would, most of y'all would look at me and say, you're young, I am young. But to those that are younger than me, how you live and walk with Christ, please hear me, it doesn't just affect you. You look around this room, it affects every single one of us in here that bear the name Christian. Every single one of us. It's not just your reputation. It's my reputation. It's all of y'all's reputation. It's every church in America that is seeking to be, to, to be saved through Jesus Christ alone and represent Him. Every church in, a, in the world, it's their reputation. We're one body. How we live is a big deal. You're not just fooling around as an 8th grader in isolation. You're, you're, you're destroying the name of Christians. You're not just messing around and wasting your high school days. You're destroying the testimony of Christians. It's that important. It's, that Im- it's, it's, it's the reason, unfortunately, we are hypocrites. We hear that, all oh, Christians are hypocrites. You're right. And I'm, I'm one of them sometimes. But that ought not to be the mark of our lives. Those things ought to be out, outliers. Man, that, that, he stumbled. But adorn the doctrine. The Word of God, our relationship is at stake in how we live. And hear me, God's not out to rain on your parade. He's not out to squash your fun. He's not out to be some cosmic killjoy, as I think it was C.S. Lewis said it. He's out, for your, he's out for your hope and for your joy and for you to live life the way it was truly meant to live. But John seventeen three, this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom He sent. John 10, 10, I have come that they would have life and have it to the fullest in abundance see he's out for you to avoid the stuff that scars and for you to pursue the stuff that brings joy and healing to those around you and also yourself pursue god pursue him every single one of us are going to give an account for how we lived our lives and that does not start when you graduate high school or college and start a family and all that it starts from day one how did you steward your middle school years how'd you steward your high school years how'd you steward your college years how'd you steward your your 20s your 30s your 40s you're going to give an account all of us will the first the first account is going to be this what did you do with my son jesus did you accept him and the payment on the cross or did you forsake it that's going to weed out the crowd and then amongst believers you're going to give an account for how you stewarded the grace of god we saw in 1 Corinthians, it shall be found that a faithful be what? I mean, a steward be what? Faithful. Faithful. Where are you faithful? Where are you faithful? And I challenge you, no matter where you are, to give your life over to serving and making much of Jesus Christ. There, there is no greater joy than serving the Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. It will not be fun all the time in the sense of it doesn't mean everything's perfect. 2 Timothy 3.12, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. 
But the Bible is very clear. If you're going to suffer, you suffer for doing what is right. Do not suffer for doing what is wrong. Why? Because in the future, there's laid up for us a crown of righteousness that He will bestow on those who were faithful. Faithful. And I challenge you, every single one of us are called to proclaim the gospel through where we are and how we live our lives. Young, old, or in between. Proclaim the gospel. Every child is called to be, every person rather, is called to be a mentor. Fathers, you're called to be a molder. And not only for your children, but for other children. It never ends. You don't get yours raised and think, man, now I can live for myself. No, you live for other people's kids. You live for all those who didn't have a godly father to mold them. It never stops. It never stops. Every day, you're loved by a wonderful father. Every day, we're to represent him. Every day, we're to serve him and glorify and honor him. Every day. And it starts with us, dads. It starts with us. We, we set the temperature. We're the thermostat. Not only of this church, but of your homes, of your businesses. You be the father God called you to be, and you see what God does through a bunch of men and women who will faithfully serve the Lord. They will change the culture. But it won't be through looking like the culture. It won't be. 